Kitson, Cambridge, Simpson, 4-1, that's brought the whole baseball ground to its feet, that really was a marvellous, marvellous goal by Darwin. So welcome on to Talk Derby to me, Paul Simpson. First question's got to be, how are you and, and how's the health? Yeah, I'm, I'm really well. I've had a nice relaxing Christmas and no pressures of football. Um, no, I had, a, I had a real scare in the summer, but um, thankfully I, it was um, that the cancer tumour was recognised, was, was um, diagnosed really early um, before I'd had any symptoms. I wasn't feeling unwell in any way. Um, and then I managed to get in quickly to have the surgery. Um, surgery all went really well. It was quite a strange one, really, because the surgeon is a real top guy, a guy called Mr. Gullam Hussain. And when I spoke to him afterwards, I mean, he he'd just performed surgery on me where he's taken my left kidney out, um, removed my kidney. And, he, and when I said to him, was it OK? He went, yeah, it was uneventful. And I'm thinking... <laughs> that's not really uneventful you've just whipped the kidney out you know so but that that was how he, he dealt with it um and I feel really well I had about six weeks of recovering at home and then I went back to work at Bristol and um I've not had any problems at all I've, I've got to go and have six monthly scans but that's that's just to check everything's in order um and I'm not not feeling any effects so hopefully I'm I've been really lucky and I'm and I'm through it that's really, really good to hear. So are you back at Bristol full time now? Are you back? No, I'm finished at Bristol. Um, I went back in um, six weeks after surgery. And then it, it was quite a strange one, really, because I realised as soon as I went back in, when I was away, um, Nigel had brought um, Curtis Fleming in to sort of be in there whilst I was away, just to give him an extra pair of hands. And the idea was, I was told that it was purely short term. And once I was back, Curtis would leave. But as soon as I went back in, I could tell that the whole dynamic had changed inside there and, and the way it was all working. And, and I'm not saying that nobody did, any, did anything bad towards me, but I could just tell that there was a different mix going on there. And, and if I'm honest, I didn't really feel as if I'd, as if I was a part of it as much then. Um, and there was a couple of things that went on that were trying to do to change my role and then they tried to change my contract and, I wasn't particularly happy about it. So we came to an agreement and, and a compromise and uh, we, we parted ways. And that was probably the end of October. So I'm now sitting and just waiting to see what comes next. Are you doing anything at all at football? Are you actively looking for another role? I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm always on the lookout um, just to see. And I've, I've had a, a couple of inquiries into me about things. Um, so there's a few things that are bubbling away in the background at the moment, but, and, until they happen, they're just bubbling away. And there's, there's there's been many a times in my my footballing career where you think something might happen and it, it never comes to fruition. So we'll wait and see. But I'm um, I, I certainly feel ready to go back into. I didn't feel as if I needed a break, um, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what the next thing comes. Maybe a role at Derby County. I mean, you probably even get a game at the minute. <laughs> yeah, there are, there's a few problems there at the moment, isn't there? It's, um, it's such a shame because it's a it's a magnificent football club. There's so many there are so many good things about it, um, and obviously I still live in the Derby area, so I'm aware of what's going on there. Um, and it's such a shame the, the the state that it's been allowed to get into for whatever reason, and I don't know the ins and outs of it. Um, and it'd be wrong of me to to 
cast an opinion on it because I don't really know. But it is a shame, and I just hope they get sorted soon. Yeah, I was going to say, have you have you been keeping an eye on on Derby and, and what your thoughts? One thing I wanted to ask you about was how many youngsters Derby playing because obviously you've got experience with with bringing youngsters through. Mm. And is it difficult? And do you have to manage bringing plays through? And how do you kind of manage bringing a youngster through? Because it's a difficult situation at Derby at the minute where they're kind of being forced to, mm. to play these youngsters week in, week out. Do you think that could have a detrimental effect in some ways, maybe? Well, it's it's a bit of a twofold thing, isn't it? Because the first part of it, it is brilliant for the young players, really good for them and great experience for them. They'll be learning all the time. But I suppose it's a little bit like when I started off in management. I went into a situation with absolutely no experience of what I was going into. And you have to learn on the job. And obviously, when you're learning on the job, unless you are so really, really talented or lucky, you're going to make mistakes when when you're learning on the job. And and I I think that's the problem that you may have with, with the young players at Derby. They are, there are some really talented young players in there. And, and what you would normally do, you would throw them in there. Hopefully, you've got a good mix of, of senior players around them, um, which, in all fairness, I look at the, the Derby team with the likes of Shinny and uh, Davis and uh, Jack Yelka, Craig Forsyth. They're good, experienced pros that they've got in and around them. But, but what you would do, you put them in for maybe three or four games, then you take them out of it again and, and let them have a little break and then pop them back in again. But unfortunately, at the moment, Derby are having to rely on these young players and they're having to be regular starters for them. And, and that maybe could be a, a little bit of a challenge for the young players to be able to deal with. Another another thing that I was, was going to ask you about is people seem, if Derby do go into <coughs> League One, obviously the great escape is still on. But if we do, then it's looking like we'll go down. Will it be a different kind of a different challenge for them to play League One football rather than not having yeah. the time on the ball and and playing and to go down and and go to like a Scunthorpe or somewhere on a on a different kind of pitch where you're not going to get the time? Mm. Will it be a different it, challenge for them then? It's certainly a different game. Um, what I would say is League One isn't as bad as Championship supporters and, and championship players think because it is a really, really strong league. You look at some of the sides that are in League One and that is a hell of a strong league. I think there's probably 10 or 12 teams who, if they go up and, and the finances are all in place to go into the championship, they could easily go up and hold their own. So it's it isn't it's not going to be straightforward. If Derby County do unfortunately go down, it is not going to be straightforward in League One. It'd be a tough challenge. And um, I think it's the football is better than it used to be, the standard of football, um, but it will be difficult. Now, the thing is for Derby County, and I look at the situation at the moment, everybody's talking about what will happen in League One next season because the squad will be good enough. Nobody has a clue who's going to be left at Derby come the end of the January window because everybody knows what football's like. The vultures will be circling, knowing that Derby have got money problems, knowing the administrators will want to try and recoup as much as they possibly can to make it a a more attractive buy for somebody, that some of these real good young players, even some of the good experienced players, they could be gone by the end of January and then suddenly come the end of the season... Who knows what's going to be in place? But I think that 
I do believe that Derby will come back if they can get through this um, takeover and this administration issue that's going on, which isn't going to be straightforward, I wouldn't think, when you look at the, the sizable debts. I think the club will come back and be and, and will get themselves back into a really good place. Is it difficult to approach and manage a side when you're, you're kind of your hands are tied? And have you ever been in that situation where you're trying to get the best out of your squad, you maybe can't strengthen it. You, is that difficult to approach when you you can't really, you don't have as much control as you'd like to? Uh, it, it is a really difficult situation. Um, I mean, it, every management job, you're working within constraints. Um, that, that's always the issue, unless you're fortunate to be at a Chelsea or a Manchester City. That That's a different kettle of fish. But when I first went in at Carlisle, we were working under a thing called CVA, um, which could possibly be the next stage for Derby um, where, where the, the football league watch everything that you're doing. And, you know, I, we literally had to contact the football league if we wanted to have a pre-match somewhere and it was going to cost £500 or if we wanted to go overnight, which from Carlisle, most games were an overnight stay. We had to get permission from the football league to do all of those things. So we were in a situation where the group of players that I, I took over the, the group the top and bottom it was they weren't good enough. They were they were a really poor group of players. And you know, we got CVA lifted at the end of November, and we were something like 17 points adrift at the bottom of, of League wow. Two. Now that was without a points deduction. We were that far behind. We we were in desperate trouble. Um, so it is difficult because you have to work and you're trying to find a permutation out of the same the, the, out of the same group of players. Um and, and unfortunately, it's, it's really hard to find the answer. And, and a manager normally gets the blame for it when really it's probably not solely the manager's fault. There's a lot of other um, bits of things that need to be taken into consideration. Um, and I think what Wayne's doing, uh, firstly, I've got to say, I think he has come across so well in the media. I think he's been absolutely brilliant in this situation, the way he's dealt with it, the way he's handled himself. Um, and I'm quite sure there was a lot of people that had question marks over whether he could and would want to. I think he has been superb the way he's come across in, in the media in, in, in dealing with this whole situation. Um, he's stuck to the way he wants to play, even though the, the, they're having, you know, they keep making mistakes and conceding goals, but he's stuck to that style of play and that's how he wants to do it. Um, and I have to take my hat off to him in all fairness. No, I completely agree. And like I say, he's stuck to his guns and it's starting to come to fruition a little bit. When you look at the results we've had, like beating West Brom, mm -hmm. beating Bournemouth, drawing at Fulham. And yeah. when you play the better teams, you think if you could add three or four into that team, you've without a points deduction, we'd be eight points off the playoffs. With, well, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real tough balancing act for, for anybody who's in this situation. Um, and I, I was going to say fortunately, but I suppose it was unfortunately, I can talk from experience that, that it is a difficult one to deal with. What do you look for when you're bringing players through, especially young players, obviously ability, but are you looking for a certain type of character? Especially at the minute at Derby, you want somebody who's maybe got a little bit about them or, yeah. and how much is it? And when you look for play, I mean, obviously it's different with every player, but how much of it is the ability and how much is it is character and mindset when you look at a young player? Well, I think, I think to be in the position they're in, they've obviously got some ability. So that's, you know, that's normally there. But you're just looking for somebody who's got the resilience to be able to deal with that situation. Because normally when you're struggling in, in a situation like Derby are, you would sort of go, oh, it's not really right to throw a youngster into it. But 
the situation is they're having to throw them in. So, so Wayne and his coaching staff will probably be going for the people who or the, the young players who they think are, are strong enough mentally and physically to deal with it. Because the championship is a really tough league. It's ruthless. There's, you know, there's some top sides in there. There's some top players in there. And it is a, it's a tough league because it's relentless as well. It's, it's Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, you know, it's, it's non-stop. And, and I would imagine in this second half of the season with the number of um, cancellations has been postponements because of COVID, it's going to be even more intense in this second half of the season. So you need players who can, who can actually deal with the situation. And that's a big part of it. And I always think with footballers, I mean, Footballers get get a lot of stick, I think. Um, some of it's valid. Some of it, they, they, they bring it on themselves. But to be a professional footballer, it's not just about having ability. You have to be prepared to make loads of sacrifices in your life and have total commitment to it um, to be able to stay in it and to be there. And sometimes that's not easy. And, and at this time of year at Christmas, it, it's a really good example when Everybody else is going out and drinking and eating too much and doing it. You have to be disciplined. And, you know, I think back to my own career, the amount of Christmas days. I mean, I've had Christmas days where I've had to leave the family at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon to go and get on a bus and go up to uh, different parts of the country for a game on Boxing Day. And I'm not saying that as a complaint because that's the it's probably the only downside of being a professional footballer is you sacrifice Christmas. The rest of it is just a wonderful life and a, and a great career to be in. But you have to have that discipline and you've got to be prepared to make those sacrifices to, to be able to sustain a career in professional football. Have you ever come across youngsters or, or played with anyone that you've kind of been frustrated <laughs> with? You think if he, if he had the right attitude, he'd be unbelievable. But oh, many, got it. many of them, you know, and there's... There's so many of them. I mean, I used to always laugh and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't often go in pubs now. Um, but when I used to go in pubs and you'd speak to people and they go, oh, my, my mate, he should have been a professional footballer. You're like, oh, yeah, who does he play? Oh, he plays on a Sunday morning. He's brilliant. Great, great ability. Oh, why didn't he then? Ah, oh, well, he, the coach didn't like him or he liked too many nights on the beer and you think, that's why I wasn't a professional footballer then. So there are loads and loads of people, you know, the times where I've been out on Saturday afternoons when I've not been working myself or Sunday mornings and you go and watch games, and you think, well, they've got some ability, those lads. And, you know, if only they'd have applied themselves properly when they were younger, they might have had a career. But then there's also players who have made it in professional football but haven't quite gone on and done what they probably should have done with the level of ability they've got because of whatever. There might have there might be injuries, there might have been outside distractions that, that happen, but there's loads of them, unfortunately. There's loads out there. But that and that's why I think anybody who does have a career in football, they've obviously got something. They've 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 got the ability, they've got the temperament, they've got the the discipline, the the prepared to go and do what's what's necessary to be a, a football player, to be a top football player. Hard work, you have to be hard working. Simple as that. You've got to be prepared to go and work hard every single every single game. I even think in training, you've got to be prepared to go and work hard. And and I, you know, I just said that Christmas is a small sacrifice that you have to make to have a career in football. I don't think it's a real big sacrifice to have to expect you to work hard in football as well. When you think about a footballer's general week, it's a couple of hours a day. 
doing your football stuff, doing your, your physical preparation, whatever it is, whatever you have to do on that particular day. I don't think that's a real hardship. So for me, I think that's a given that you should expect players to work hard. Now, anybody who ever watched me playing for Derby knows that I wasn't a tackler. I wasn't an aggressive sort of player. So I don't believe that everybody has to be aggressive and everybody has to go through thundering tackles because I couldn't do it. I, I didn't do it. It was, wasn't part of my makeup. So I don't believe that there has to be, that every player has to be smashing through tackles. But I do think you need to work hard. And, and my, my mentality as being a winger was, yeah, all right, I might not be able to tackle, but if I can just be a pest and be a nuisance in front of somebody, then that, that's my job, you know, I, and that's what I tried to do. There was times where I did have to go for tackles um, and, and I would do that, but it was more about just being a bloody nuisance and being in front of somebody as a bit of an obstacle. So to answer your question, I think you have to have them. I think you've got to have hard work and I, and I think there's got to be a level, particularly in today's game, of technical ability they need to be able to control and pass a ball and see a pass, but you've got to be prepared to go and work. And I have a thing that, uh, you know, every recovery run has to be a sprint. So everybody can sprint forward and go forward. But when you sprint back, it has to be, a, when you run back, it has to be a sprint, you know, so don't just, don't just do the nice side of it fast. You've got to do the ugly side of it fast as well. But Derby had to wait for the goal until the second half. The penalty, not too many complaints, and Paul Simpson's spot kick was beautifully clipped in. It finished though, Oldham nil, Derby won. Where did it all start for you then? Where did your opportunity come to, to have a career in professional football? Um, I was playing in the local leagues in Carlisle, which is where I'm from. And uh, we had... Uh, so. In those days, you couldn't sign for anybody until you were 14 year old. You signed schoolboy forms at 14. So if you were any good and you'd, you'd get picked up by scouts and you'd go and tour around the country and go to different clubs and have trials. Um, and then when you got to a certain age, you then had to make a decision as to where you wanted to go. So in my early days in Carlisle, I was going all over the place. And it was a bit of a buzz for me as a young kid to want to go to all these places. But my dad was really selective about where he would let me go. He didn't want me going here, there and everywhere. So I, I went to Ipswich. Um, I should have gone to Bolton, but I um, I got an injury and missed it. In fact, no, I didn't get an injury. I'll tell you what I got. I got a Wicklow on my thumb where I had to have a, a little bit of a cast put on to stop me biting my nails. So I never went to Bolton, missed that one. I went to Sunderland. I was at Carlisle. I went to Preston. Um, so I had a few places and I was gutted because I had an opportunity to go to Man United and to go to Celtic and Rangers. And my dad said, no, nah, we don't think that's the right. I don't think that's the right place to go. So I didn't go there. Then I got to 14 year old and I needed to make a decision as to, to where I wanted to sign to, to go and play um, sort of in the A team on Saturday. And I chose Man City. And so I started at City. When I was 14, playing in their A-team with the, the full-time players and um, went through to 16 and started started as an apprentice at 16 and going back to the dark ages of 1982, that was when I started. Was that a proper YTS, the, the stereotypical football apprenticeship? <laughs> it was a proper football <laughs> apprenticeship, yeah, it was. It was um, 
cleaning boots, cleaning baths, um, sorting the kit out, basically whatever the first team needed, that was it. But do you know something? I, it, it was such a good discipline. It was absolutely brilliant. And it was quite funny, really, because my coaches at the time at Man City was, was two City legends, Tony Buck and Glyn Pardo, who both played loads against. I mean, Glyn was was expected to be one of the best players ever for Man City in his day. And he got injured in a Manchester derby. I think it was George Best tackled him and, and got he got an injury and he, and he never came back. And Lynn was our youth coach and him and Tony Buck, they were so strict and so disciplined with us. They, it was actually bordering on bullying. And my first group that I took when I joined the FA, uh, Glyn Pardo's grandson was in the team, a lad called Tommy Doyle from Man City. And I saw Glyn in the hotel at St George's Park and he come up to me and I'd not seen him since I, I left City in 1988 and I hadn't seen him since then. This is, in, this is now 2000 and 2006, this was. Um, sorry, no, it wasn't 2016. So it was a long time. And he come up to me and he, and he gave me a big hug and he went, you must hate me, do you? I bet you hated me. I said, you know something, Glyn, when I think about my career, you were really tough on us. But those standards that you put into me as, a, as a, an apprentice, I've actually stuck with them all through my career and I've applied them. And, and without it, without the, the sort of stick that we used to get off Glenn and Tony, I probably wouldn't have done what I did in my career. So I have a lot to thank them for, even though at the time, wow, it was, it was bloody tough, really was. Do you think, I know this is kind of a, a football fan thing to say, but do you think that's something that's, kind of missing that character building because I know times move on and methods change and stuff like that but you can be 21 22 now earning quite decent money and never really played a first team game and then Mm -hmm. then you were cleaning first team's boots and maybe playing reserve football at 16 do you think yeah there's somewhere in the middle we could meet maybe that's exactly what I said I, I said when when I was an apprentice when I look back at it at the time you just think it's perfectly normal and you just get on with it but when I look back at it now it was it was tough. It was it was bordering, as I said earlier, on abuse. The way the way that we were treated. Now I think it's gone too far. And if we could meet somewhere in the middle of how it was in my day and how it is now, I think that would be the ideal situation. But I also have to be really careful not to not to get into the mindset. Oh, everything was great in my day because it wasn't. So there was a lot of things that were wrong in my my early days just like I think there's a lot of things are wrong now. And the world has changed, hasn't it? You know, we, I always had to have this in my mind when I was working with the, the young players at the FA because it, it's easy to go, oh, I wish there would be like this when it were like it was in the old days. But the truth is, as, as parents, we're the ones who have created the, the kids now. So we can't really complain about it because we're probably to blame about it. And you, you have to just accept that's the way it is. You know, we, 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 it, we're always talking about wanting to get leaders, but we never allow people to be leaders. We we do it all for them. We we say you need to be here at this time. You know, on football trips, the players all have to hand the passports into somebody to look after the passports because they can't be trusted to look after them. And it was one thing I hated as a player that I used to think, well, I can actually look after myself. You know, I, I we were never told what our weekly schedule was. We would literally just we'd train on a, on, a, on, a, on a Tuesday, whatever, and say, oh, you're off tomorrow. Now, when you've got a family, that's really hard to deal with, isn't it? If you don't, you, you've no idea. And Jackie would say to me, what do you think will happen next week? Will you be in on, on such? I'm like, 
I ain't got a clue. And, and you've got to plan. So we don't allow these young people the opportunity to, to become leaders and to learn how to look after themselves. And we have to take the blame for that. One of the things I've always done as a manager, I put a monthly schedule out and say, right, this is the schedule. Now, it can change. Something might affect it that changes it. But in general, this is what we're going to do. I was always of the view that never change the schedule because of a result. So if we've lost, I don't suddenly go and people are saying, oh, you should have them in every day. I would never do that. You know, they didn't go out to lose on purpose. They didn't go out to play rubbish. It just happened. So don't punish them for that. Just stick with your schedule. If you think that's the right way to go about it, go about it. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really tough one with young players because I think the, the, uh, the discipline of having to, to do jobs at the club is really good for them. It didn't do me any harm at all, even though it was hard. And I, and I think it would stand them in good stead to learn how to actually look after themselves and, and become leaders for themselves if, we, if we're given that opportunity. Do you think trust is a big thing? Because I think um, Jakob Larsson, he, he told a story on the podcast about, I think one of the reasons he stopped playing international football was he went to a tournament and they wouldn't even let him go outside the hotel for a walk. It was that kind mm. of regimented. So it can go the other way where it's a bit too regimented. So mm. the players react well to being trusted as well. If you say, right, you, you can do that. It's up to yeah. you if you do this. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think that's the way. It, it's got to be the way forward. That was the that was the, the sort of philosophy we had in the FA. And I'll be honest, I'd never seen it before. Hadn't seen it done this way. But when I went into the FA, they had this thing about the players taking ownership. And um, so we would, I mean, we, we guided them all the time. It was like a bit of a guided learning, really, because we would put a, a set of clips together of the opposition and would show the players and say, right, have a look at this. Tell us how we're going to beat them. Tell us what they do to start with. So what's the shape? Do they want to build from the back? Do they just go along to the striker when they get in the final third? Well, how do they score goals? What do they do? So we've selected the clips to show them. So they, in a way, we're guiding them to the answers. And then we would say, right, OK, this is how they set up then. How are we going to beat them? So what do you think is the best way to play against them? Should we do this? If, if that's how they're going to try and stop us from playing out from the back, if they go with one, what do we need to do? Where do your centre-backs go? What do your full-backs do? And the players would come up with the game plan and we always felt that if they, if it's their idea, they're more likely to then go and implement it when it comes to a game. And the other thing that it does as well is that during a game, everybody thinks, oh, the manager should have changed that. But it's really hard during a game to actually get information on to, to change something, which is quite a big thing in a game. So we wanted the players to try and have the knowledge to be able to go, do you know what? This ain't working. We need to do it differently. And we gave them that ownership to be able to do that. And we had a period at the FA where it worked really, really well. There's, there's been a lot of changes now and it's, and it's, it's a little bit different. Now, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's, it's different to what it was. Um, but we found that the players, we, we trusted the players to be able to go and do it. And, and they were able to do it. And, and again, it's something I've tried to do with, with players. You know, even when I've been a manager on a pre-season trip somewhere, I remember going to Spain with, uh, with Shrewsbury and we were in a lovely environment and we all ate together. And I said to the players, you know, if you want to have a drink tonight, there's only one bar, they couldn't go anywhere else. If you want to have a drink tonight, you can have a drink here. The staff will be here. You can have a drink if you need to just relax and unwind. But remember, 
we're training at seven o'clock tomorrow morning and then we're training at half 10 and then we're going to train at six o'clock at night as well. So you have to work out what's right for you. And the lads would stay and some of them would have a, a like a couple of drinks or whatever and, and or a glass of wine and have a game of cards or something. And then they'd be going to bed at half nine, 10 o'clock because they knew we were up at seven to train the next morning. And I think if you give, if you treat them like adults and you respect that they're sensible enough, I think they give you that back as well. And thankfully didn't bite me on the backside doing it anyway. So we were okay. How does it differ building like a squad in international football in the different age groups to domestic football? Because obviously you're not with them all the time and you've got to try and build up the squad. How do you go about making a team that aren't together all the time, if that makes sense? Yeah, it it is difficult to do it, to be honest with you. But you, you, you find that, and again, in, in the world that we have today with social media, they all tend to keep in touch with each other for the, you know, for the, even when they're away off international camp. So I think there was always a good feeling about it when we were there. Um, in a club, it's obviously easier because you can, um, you know, you've got them day to day and you can instill your ideas into them. On, on the international camps, what we tried to do, we, we didn't, we tried not to view it as a, as a 10-day camp, we tried to view it over a, a, a full period. So, for example, I would take over the under-19 team at the start of a season and then I would stay with them for the 19s and for the 20s. So I would have them for two years. So the way that we tried to work it, I mean, it was, it was difficult in a way in that we had... So the way the under-19 season works is that you have a Euro, you have a camp in September, which is generally two friendlies, then you have a one in, normally one in October, which is friendlies, and then a November one is a European qualifying campaign where you, you have to finish first or second. And then you go through to the following March, which is a um, an elite stage to try and get to the finals in the summer. And then if you can get to the semifinals in the summer, you qualify for the World Cup the following year. So what we tried to do over that first two camps, we tried to instill as much of the information of how we wanted to play whilst there were friendly games, knowing that when you get to November, you have to win. Now, without sounding arrogant, that November camp is normally a straightforward one because we we were always classed as like the top seed. So we would have two, probably two teams who were not great challenges and one which might be a little bit of a tricky one, but you just had to finish in the top two. So November was normally straightforward. So again, you could use the November camp as a, as a semi-training sessions, knowing that to get to the elite stage, you were going to have your, another a bigger challenge. And then also, if you got to the finals, that's when it become tough because you had all of the big hitters were normally there, France, Germany, Holland, Spain, you know, and that's when it used to become a little bit more difficult. Um, so we used to try and instill all of the style of football the way we wanted to play over the first few camps to try and build towards the... The, the the elite stage and the finals hoping that we get to a world cup where in that world cup leading up to the world cup was then about just sort of fine-tuning all of the way that we wanted to play and doing that and i think when you've got when you keep having a group and you the, the nucleus of about maybe 16 17 players would would generally be together on the camp and you'd have a couple of extras coming in so you get that bond going as well by going on different trips and living together for 10, 12 days and being, hey, being able to learn how to, 
how to deal with each other's personalities, which is the big thing. Because then when you get to a World Cup final, you, we were away for 35 days in, in total. And that's a long time to be away with people who, who are not your family and, and who you probably don't really speak to the rest of the year. At what stage during that process did you think in well the 2017 side that they've got a chat they're a good side and they've probably got a chance of winning the World Cup? I'll be really honest with you, Blake. At no point leading up to it did I ever think we were going to win the World Cup. Not because of the standard of the players, just because of the history that had gone before. Um, they hadn't. I, I can't remember the exact times, but we hadn't. I don't think we'd won a game in the World Cup finals for about 20 years and we hadn't won consecutive games for about 28 years. So it was so stacked against us. But when when we were meeting up, I mean, we did a camp in France in March um, against, um, who was it? Portugal, France and Senegal, I think it was. And we won the tournament and I thought, Wow, we're not bad us. We've got a decent squad of players here. But then we were having to meet up before the Premier League season had finished. We were going out to Japan for a, a week's prep camp before we then flew from Japan to South Korea. And we were meeting on a we were meeting on a Monday afternoon. And up until the Saturday night, I still hadn't got a clue who my squad was going to be because clubs weren't allowing players to come out. I remember having a, a discussion with Eddie Howe over Lewis Cook, who was the captain. And then I'd been speaking with um, uh, Steve Walsh at, at Everton because Ronald Koeman was in charge. And at Everton, I had John Joe Kenny, Kieran Dowell, Callum Connolly and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Those four were big players in the group. And... It was like, mm, we don't know if they can come. We don't know if we're going to let them go. And then on the Saturday night, like literally 48 hours before we were meeting up, I got a phone call off Steve to say, we're just on the coach on the way back. Um, and Ronald has said that you can have you can have the players. I was like, oh, wow, brilliant. Um, when can I have them? He said, well, when do you want them? I said, we'll meet up on Monday, but I know you've got two games left. He went... No, and what had happened, the drawn, I think, I think it might have been away at Swansea. And basically that result meant that they couldn't finish any higher and couldn't go any lower with whatever results come in these next two games. And he just said, no, you can have them on Monday. So that was massive when I got them. I'd agreed with Eddie Howe that um, Lewis Cook was going to meet us at the end of the prep camp and he would come and join us for the games in once the tournament started. So again, that was huge. And there was all of these different things going on. So it was, um, it, you know, it was it, it was at that point when we got together and we flew out to Japan, I thought, yeah, we're in a decent state, but I'm still waiting on Cookie. And there was somebody else, and I feel really bad that I can't remember who the other player was. There was two of them flew out together to come and join us in, in South Korea. And um, once the tournament started, I just set them little targets because we'd been so poor in previous years. My first target was, can we score a goal? Because we hadn't scored a goal in a World Cup finals for the previous tournament. So can we score a goal? That's the first target. Then can we win a game? And then because we went, then won the first game against Argentina, I said, right, well, it's 28 years since we won consecutive games. Can we just go and try and win two consecutive games? And the second game we drew against Guinea. Um which was just a rubbish result. So the lads lads are all happy because it virtually meant we'd qualified at that point. And I'm going, 
No, 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 no. We still haven't won two consecutive games. That's the challenge. We've done the first two. Can we go and do it? And then from then it just snowballed. And it was only on the morning of the World Cup final when we had a team meeting. It's the first time I said to them, we've come this far. Why don't we go and win it? Let's go and have a go to win it because we'd never talked about winning it at all. Um, I can't even remember whether I consciously did that to try and take the pressure off them, but that was the first time on that morning I said, right, come on, we've, we've, we've been here now 30-odd days together. Let's go and win it. Let's have a go at winning it. And, and they were obviously desperate to do it. Um, my first, The first time we got together with them in the march in France and I said, I got this sort of senior group together and said, right, tell me what you don't like about how it's been done before. Tell me if there's things you'd like to do differently and how we how you suggest we do it. Let's let's have a chat and come up with it. And I, and I started this meeting by saying, tell me what you think we're going to do in the summer. And they said, we're going to win it. I'm like, seriously? Wait, what makes you think that? They said, well, we think we're good enough to win it. I said, right, okay, right, let's let's make a, a, a commitment now then that between now, which is March, to when the tournament starts in, in May, nobody's allowed to have a day off. Everybody has to be totally professional from now. I know I ain't, ain't going to be with you, but when you go back to your clubs, there's no day off. And, and they're like, well, what do you mean no day off? I said, right, no, nobody goes out drinking and gets in trouble. Nobody tosses it off in training. Everybody is totally committed to come June, we're gonna we're gonna go to win the World Cup, not knowing that we had a chance of it, you know. And I, I said to them, "Don't anybody ask me on any camps. Don't anybody ask me for a night out. Don't don't ask for days off. We will do it how we think it's right to go and really be committed to have a right good go at it." And fair play to them; they were they were absolutely different class. Not not just as not just as football people, but as blokes, they were just top, top class people to be around for that 30-odd days that we were away. It's not a bad title to have anyway, is it? The the first English coach since 1966 <laughs> to win a World Cup. Yeah, it was nice. It's something that'll never go. You know, I mean, when you when you were um, you, you're growing up and wanting to be in football, you dream about being involved in all of the things, don't you? You want to play in front of crowds. You want to go to Wembley and play in cup finals. You want to play for your country. Um, I don't think I ever got to a point where I thought I'm going to be in a World Cup final. I never got that point. But thankfully, it's it's um, through through the look of the draw, I managed to get myself there. And it was, uh, it was just a, a brilliant thing to be part of, to be honest with you. And it'll stay with me forever, obviously. Incredible achievement. And this is the moment that will stay with these players for the rest of their playing days. England, World Cup winners. I just want to get back to your playing, Chris, quickly. Coming to Derby from Oxford, how did that come about and why Derby at the time, if you can remember? Well, it came about the previous summer. I was out of contract and um, I'm led to believe that Arthur Cox made an offer for me. And in those days, if you came out of contract, you weren't automatically on a free transfer. If you, if the club wanted to keep you, it then if they couldn't agree a fee, it went to a tribunal. And Oxford were asking for ridiculous money. I think they were asking for about two million for me at the time. And I'm, I'm told that Arthur offered a million, but he wasn't prepared to take a chance and go to a tribunal. So I knew there was an interest there. And then we had the situation where 
Um, Robert Maxwell was in charge of Derby County and Kevin Maxwell was at Oxford. But we all really understood that it was the Maxwells who, who owned both the clubs. And then Robert Maxwell disappeared off his boat that particular night and all of it, everything got uncovered with the Mirror pension fund issues. And we were told at Oxford that one player had to be sold or somebody had to be sold within the next 10 days. Otherwise, we weren't going to get paid. And um, I think it was about day six or seven. I got a phone call on a morning off. I would, it was quite strange here because we, me and Jackie had lived in this house in Oxford since I signed. So we'd been in this house for about three years. And uh, on the day off, we had two young kids, two, two little ones there, Joe and Jake. And um, I get a phone call in the morning. Can you come into the club? We've accepted a bid for, for you. I'm like, where am I going then? So we can't tell you yet. Um, just come into the club and we'll, we'll let you know when you get there. So I'll get into the club. And I left home that morning. I still to this day have never set foot back in that house again because I, I left the house, um, took, my boat, took my boots with me, and I'd spoken to Arthur Cox. Um, eventually, Brian Horton told me it was Derby County. Apparently, Derby and Notts County had both put an offer in, but it was Derby that got accepted. Um, and I spoke to Arthur and I said, look, do I need to bring my boots? This was a Wednesday. I said, do I need to bring my boots with me? He said, well, there's not going to be any problems here. What, what makes you think you might not need your boots? I said, well, I don't know whether we'll agree terms. He went, we'll agree terms. Don't worry about that. He <laughs> said, you just get yourself up here. So I was like, right, okay. So I took my boots with me. And as I say, I never set foot back in that house again after living there for three years. Jackie dealt with everything, put it on the market. We sold it. And uh, we moved up to Derby and got up there as quick as we possibly could. We've um, we've got to talk about Arthur Cox because uh, of the hundred and something people we've had on, loads have played for Arthur, and they've all got their own stories. What was he like as a as a gaffer? Um, he was brilliant with me to start with. Really, really good. He made me feel a million dollars. He really did. He was um, he was proper old school, real disciplinarian, um, just blunt with people. Very, very rarely praised you. Um, and, and when I first went in, he was he was just he, he just showed me that that he cared for me. He thought I was a good player, um, and I liked that about him because everybody wants that. It doesn't matter what you do in life; you want somebody to show their appreciation for you. And Arthur did that with me, and. Um, I don't really know what happened between me and him. And still to this day, I've still never found out really, but he just turned, he just changed to his opinion on me for whatever reason. And I, and I really don't know what it was. Um, and I would love to know because it's something that's stuck in my mind all the time. I, When I first signed, uh, my debut was Leicester away in the, I think would it be 91, 92 season, I think it was. Um, played every game up until the end of the season, scored a few goals. Everything was going really well. We um, we lost against um, Blackburn in the playoffs um, and, and we missed out there. Um, that was when Sir Jack Awood was spending all his money and Lionel was doing the same at Derby and everything was going really well. Went into the start of the next season and I had a really good start. Me personally, I had a really good start to the season. I was leading goal scorer. I mean, by... By about the October, I think I was in double figures for, for goals. And um, I always remember there was a little bit of a turning point. We played Sunderland at home and we lost 1-0 and it was absolutely lashing down. And, and there's always a chance that sticks in my mind. There was a, 
we went down the right-hand side and a ball came across the 18-yard box. I mean, this is at the old baseball ground and anybody who ever went to the baseball ground can get a picture of how the ground was, what state it was. So the ball was rolled across the 18-yard box to me. It was about penalty spot, actually, rolled across the penalty spot. And as the ball was travelling, I've looked up to see where the keeper was and thought, right, I'm just going to side-foot it straight back, you know, like a straightforward side foot to the goalkeeper's right hand. He's got, if I can get the power on it, he's got no chance from the penalty spot. I'm gonna, and, and I've got a chance of scoring. And as the ball rolled across, it got dragged in a little puddle just before the penalty spot. So it wasn't as, it wasn't coming as fast to me as I expected. It got dragged. And as I went to side foot it straight to the goalkeeper's right hand, it hit my heel on my boot and it went in the other direction and I missed and it was a, I knew it was a really big chance. We lost the game 1-0 and Arthur came in after the end of the game and he, he went mad at everybody and said, um, we, we were struggling as a team at this point. We couldn't get results, particularly at home. And he said, right, I've put up with you lot for long enough. Um, I, 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 it's time to make changes. I can't, uh, I can't put up with it any longer. And I'm thinking, well, I can't really be talking about me because I'm, leading goal scorer and yeah I missed a really good chance today but I, I should be okay and we then played the next game Tranmere at home we lost again and we were then going to Arsenal for a cup replay on the Tuesday night and I'd scored and had one disallowed in the first game that we drew 1-1 at the baseball ground and again he'd made these threats on making changes stood up stood back and let you get on with it and all this sort of stuff I was the only player who got dropped for the Arsenal game I was sitting in the stand and didn't get in wasn't involved I went to see him the next day and I said listen Gaff I don't want to come and have a row with you all I want to know is what what am I doing wrong and what do I need to do to get back in the team and he said oh don't be stupid it's a one-off tactical decision don't you worry about it and I never got back in the team for ages again. Um, right up, probably up until the end of the season. I think I played about the last six or seven games. So it, it changed for some reason on me. And then the following season, we started, we played, um, I'm thinking Sunderland at home, and we won 5-0 on the first game of the season at the baseball ground. And I played. And then after the game, he signed John Harks from Sheffield Wednesday, would it be? And, and the next game was Forest away in the local derby. And again, I was the only player got dropped and he put Harksy in the team and I got dropped. Now, if you win your first game of the season 5-0, you think you've got half a chance of, of playing in the next game, but I got left out of it. And probably, I don't even know if I played many games after that for Arthur. And then he got this back injury and, and he, he, he stepped down and Roy took over and I got straight back in the team again with Roy. So... I could never work it out because even, even when I wasn't playing, I would go and see Arthur and say, listen, Gaffer, I, I, I need a game. I've not played for ages. Can I play in the reserves? And he used to say, don't be stupid. I wouldn't insult you playing reserve team football. You, you don't need to do that. I'm like, yeah, but I want to play. And he's like, no, no, you're not. And he wouldn't let me play reserve games even. And I don't, I still, as I say, I still to this day, don't know what changed with him. Um, but his opinion obviously changed of me and, and that's football, I suppose. Around that time, it was a, a little bit similar to Derby's last few seasons, obviously before this season, of, there was numerous kind of chances to go up, but just missing mm. out. How come you missed out before and what was it about Jim's side that, that was different that eventually got up? 
I think if I look back at it now, I think in those early days, the, the Blackburn game um, and then the Leicester game at Wembley as well, I look at those two games and we were basically a team of individuals. We, Arthur had gone out and signed loads of good young players. You know, I, I was still quite young. He'd signed Marco, uh, Kitson, Johnson, Pembridge, uh, Short. You know, we had all of these good young players put together but we, we never got coached. Arthur wasn't a coach. He was a, he was a manager who, who dealt with all of the management stuff. He dealt with the media, in, like managers did in those days. And we were never really coached. So I, I just think that when things were going well, we were good. We were really good, really exciting to watch. But when they weren't, we had no, we had no real base to drop back to. We didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing as a group. Um, and I think that was a thing. Now, then the difference between that and then when Jim Smith come in, Jim's first job was to bring in some real solid players. He brought in Martin Cool, he brought Pauli in. Um, and, and these were like real solid characters. And we were coached. Steve coached, Steve McLaren coached us and, and showed us how, how Jim wanted us to play. And we knew what we were doing. And I think that's the big difference. We were just a team of individuals with Arthur and with Roy to a certain extent um, that, that weren't coached into a shape. And I think that that was the norm at the time. I'm not saying that was unusual. That was normal. You were expected to just know you know your role. And as young players, we didn't really. And then when Steve came in, it was that was the start of football change and where players were then coached a lot more. Obviously, you played under Steve as a coach and then went on to work with him, uh, alongside him. Mm. Where does he rank coaching-wise with coaches you've worked with? Because a lot uh, of people that have come on have said he's, he's right up there. Oh, without a doubt, he's right up there, yeah. It was, uh, it was brilliant to work with him. I mean, first, when he came in, I, I played with Macca at, um, at Oxford, so I knew Steve from then. And then he came in as an assistant and, and he was brilliant as a coach. Every day was, you know, there was, there was real interesting things that he did. He had a real variety of sessions. Um, and, and, you know, towards the end of my time at Derby, where I wasn't starting, I was on the bench most of the time. Um, so I was part of the group that then needed to do some top-up work. And we would work so hard, but there was always such a variation to it. And, we used to just call it disguised running because it was all football work, but you were absolutely knackered at the end of it. You'd worked really hard. So he was great for that. And then when I, when I then went and worked alongside him, we, we had a really good working relationship because Steve being the coach, he wants to be on the grass all the time and he wants to be, be leading on that side of it because that's his strength. And, and my job was to make sure everything was dealt with off the grass and deal with all of the organisation stuff and all of the staff relationships and stuff like that. That was my role to look after that, but also be on the grass all the time as well. So it was it was great for me. It was a really good education. Although I'd had probably about eight or nine years as a manager, I then to come as an assistant and to see how Steve works was was a really good education for me that hopefully... I will benefit from when the next management role or assistant role comes up. The your hat trick against Tranmere in that promotion season—it's obviously it's brilliant because it's a hat trick and a brilliant win. But it seems like a really, well, as a fan, a really like a turning point in Derby's history because 
I've how the story went with obviously Eagles debut when we lose at Tranmere getting yeah. quite heavily and then in the reverse fixture after this long run and then mm. it was kind of like a poetic thing that people look back on now it was like kind of the moment where we we found out we had a decent side that had a good chance of going up what are yeah. your memories of, of that and that season and that, that long run yeah I mean the, the long run I, I was um, the, the Tranmere game was a bit of a turning point for me or a sort of first turning point of the season because I was in the team all the time then and then when after that Tranmere game, Jim changed the shape and I went out of it. So I was I was sub for a lot of the games, but I, I, I got on in, in most of them and was able to, to play my part. But we then got to the point towards the end of the season um, and Ron Willems was playing as the sort of a, a number 10 type role. And um, Ron did really well early on and then he just hit a bit of a wall and, and tailed off a bit. I'm not sure if he had an injury. Um, and I managed to get back into the team and, and, and finish the season off in the team where I you know, was able to get a few goals. But I, I don't remember at the time going into that Tranmere game with you know, any sort of focus being on let's get revenge because they wiped the floor with us at Prenton Park earlier on in the season. It really was just a case of it's the next game for us and we were on a really good run. But um, I mean, I mean, thinking about that run of games, the, the the one game and the one goal that I did get was for me was the biggest in my mind, and it was the a, a big turning point in us getting promotion was when we played Oldham away and we were drawing um, coming in. I think it might have even been in stoppage time or right close to ninety minutes, and we got a penalty. And everybody normally does is moaning about the penalty decision. And whilst I was waiting to take it, my legs just turned to jelly. And I'd never had that before. It had never, I'd never had that feeling before. And I was like, oh, shit, what do I do here? <laughs> so I sort of walked away to the side and I had the ball in my hands. And I just started juggling the ball with my feet just to get try and get my legs back again. And, and thankfully, they came back and then when everybody calmed down and I was able to put the ball on the spot and I scored and we, and we won it 1-0. But I, I sort of look at that game as a biggie that that turned it. Not not so much the Tranmere one. Obviously, getting a hat-trick was a big thing. Um, but that penalty was a one that I just thought, wow, that's, that is a really big two points that we've just picked up there that's going to take us a little bit closer to... Um, you know, or, or a big extra two points from could have been a draw, and we end up getting the three points out of it. So it was good, and and that that hat trick lasted for years, didn't it? I didn't I didn't realise at the time that nobody else had got it until was it Craig Bryson? I think Bryce got a got a hat trick away somewhere. I didn't realise it was still going. Was it Millwall? Yeah, I just remember somebody telling me about it, and I had no idea that 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 had gone that long without anybody getting three. Yeah, it was it was Millwall in two thousand and fourteen. It was the so that's the first league hat trick since. I think there'd been one in the FA Cup, Arturo Lupoli against Wrexham, but oh, the first okay. league one. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm, nice. Stay for a while. I need to get a girlfriend, don't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've got to talk. Obviously, we've been talking for a while now, but we can't let you go without talking about your time here as as a coach. Mm. I, I don't take this the wrong way. I still can't believe that side didn't get out of the championship. To be honest, because no. it's the best. It's the best football. I mean, my first sides were the side you were in and the sides with subsequently Iran. Yeah, I mean, that was all brilliant football. Yeah, yeah. But since then, that was the best football I've seen from a Derby County uh, side. It was it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I, I'd kept in touch with Steve a little bit, um, you know, over the years. And and I always remember he rung me on a Sunday night. The, the way it worked out, I'd, um, 
I was, I'd been asked to go back to Carlisle and, uh, and I'd been for an interview up at Carlisle and they were, they were sort of considering what to do. And on the Saturday afternoon, I'd been doing some work for Radio Lancashire. I was at Burnley doing a commentary, a co-commentary for a Burnley game. And as I got back in the car afterwards and I'm driving back home, I'd heard that Carlisle had won again under their caretaker manager, Graham Kavanagh. And I thought, oh, well, he's had about four or five straight wins. He's definitely get the job. And I'm sitting, driving thinking, oh, my God, where's my next job going to come from? I've no idea what I'm going to do. And on the Sunday, we were sat at home and about seven o'clock at night, Steve called me. And I've looked at my phone and it's come up, Steve McLaren, I'm thinking, the bloody hell's going on here. So, because, you know, it wasn't normal to get a call off him. And he's he chatting away. I've, I'm going to go into Derby tomorrow and they're going to speak to me about the job and bloody all of this sort of stuff. I was like, right, okay. So, and I put one part, I went, just out of interest, why are you telling me this? And he went, well, I want you to come with me. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, right, when do we start? And, and he said, well, can you meet me tomorrow? I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, have you got an agent? I went, no, why? He said, well, just in case you can't agree terms. I went, oh, don't worry about that. I said, we'll agree, we'll agree terms. I'm coming. That's the end of it. And we started and it was just, it was absolutely brilliant. I loved every single minute of it. Um, we had a really good team. It just, it, it worked the way that Steve wanted to play. Um and we had such a good link. We were lucky with the young players who were brought in on loan. It, it, it seemed to work for us. And we had a real, we, with Bryce flying in midfield and Chris Martin was on fire and Will Hughes or Jeff Hendricks, whichever one it was. We just had a really good system that worked for the players. And it was just, it, it was such a body blow when we didn't actually win that playoff game um, against QPR when we did everything but score. But, we 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 always felt we were in a good place, and I know there's been so much said about the, uh, how it came to the end, and Steve should have done this, and he shouldn't have done that, and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, the way it all worked is that we 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 had the opportunity to go to Newcastle at the end of the season, um, and Steve had put it to me and said, "Look, what do you think?" And I said, "No, I'm not going. I don't want to go with you." And he went. What do you mean? I said, I'm not going. I think Newcastle still had about three or four games left in the Premier League. I said, I'm not coming. I said, this is a better place to be. I said, and I, I think you should turn it down as well because this is the place to be. We, we have got a really good chance. When we went in there, he said, right, the first year, we're going to set the, set the tone in the place and get the attitude and get the environment right. Second year, we'll start to get closer to our squad. The third year is when we're going to have a right good go at it. That's when I think we'll be ready for it. So we, the first year, because we got to the playoffs, everybody suddenly started thinking that we should be next year, we should be doing it again. But according to Steve's plan, when we went in, we, we still weren't going to be there. So anyway, he said to me, well, if you if we turn this down, Newcastle, you're going to have to commit for the next three or four years here. I went, brilliant, do it. I said, I'm quite happy to do that, you know, if you want to do it. So he turned Newcastle down. And he said for me and Jackie to go away for a couple of days just to have a break and then come back in at the end of the week and we'd, we'd start planning again. So while I was away in Spain with Jackie, he, he called me up and he said, uh, I think I'm getting a sack. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, I've turned Newcastle down, but I think I'm going to get the sack. He said, I've had a meeting with Mel Morris and I think I'm getting the sack in the next couple of days. I'm like, no, you're not. Don't talk rubbish. 
He said, well, when are you coming back? So I said, right, I'll come in back there and I'll meet you Friday morning. We'll have a coffee. So I met him at the training ground and right enough, he got the sack that lunchtime. Um, and, and that was it. And, and he turned. So then we met, I think, I, I think I then met him on, might have been the Sunday or the following Sunday or whatever. And I said, well, bloody hell, I'm really sorry. I said, I told you to turn Newcastle down. He went, I know. I said, and I'm screwed a little bit now because I've got nothing. So, and then as it, sort of all turned around Newcastle came back in for him and he went and he, he said to me I want you to come with me I went no I, I, I don't want to go I, I believe Derby's the right place but the way it all turned out the Paul Clement got the job the club the club wouldn't allow me to speak to Paul Clement to put my case forward um, I, I was just banned from speaking to him he didn't speak to me and I eventually I think it was a, it was a Sunday night before pre-season I, I got a phone call and it wasn't going to work out. So we um, we ended up coming to an agreement to leave. And I rung Steve and said, listen, I think I'm going in to get the sack today. And he went, right, well, do you want to come up here? I said, well, if I'm not working in Derby, then yeah, I will. He said, right, well, in that case then, go and sign your termination and get straight in the car. I want you to come and start with me straight away. So I ended up going, but I knew it wasn't the right place for us. I, I always believed that Derby was the right place. And, and to be fair, Steve thought it was the right place as well, but unfortunately it ended. We can't get too much into it for different reasons, but it's, there's a number of decisions where, and you look at where Derby County are now, is that a decision on reflection? I know you're involved personally, but is that a decision you can understand, <laughs> sacking Steve at that point? Um, I couldn't understand it. No, not at all. No, I couldn't. Uh, I just couldn't get the the reasoning behind it because we we were always of the view but that the third year would be the time where we would have a right good go for it. Um, I, I totally get that the results weren't good enough in that second half of the season and we were in a really good position. But there was a lot of things that happened. You know, there was... We, we got absolutely decimated with injuries in that time. I mean, I remember we had John Eustace was was excellent in that controlling role in midfield for that first year. George Thorne came in and George got injured and he's bloody five minutes into his debut in, in on a pre-season tour. So we lost Eustace, we lost George, we brought Omar Mascarelli from Real Madrid, who we thought would then go and fill the boots. And he wasn't quite ready for it. So we had that. Then when you look at the, we lost Chris Martin with a hamstring, Johnny Russell, Jamie Ward, um, Darren Bent then did his hamstring. I've got it in my mind away at Fulham. I might be totally talking rubbish there, but I've just got this picture of him getting injured. We had all of these forward players who weren't scoring goals. And Steve had this in his mind that we need to play with us, not change our shape and go with a controller and two eights ahead of him. And we just didn't have the players to do it. And, and unfortunately, we fell short. And I totally get that results weren't good enough towards the end of the season. And as a manager, you get the sack if your results are not good enough. But I do feel as though we were in a really good place as a club. And um, that whole, probably from the December onwards, that whole Newcastle scenario could have and should have been handled a lot better than it was by by us as a group of staff. I, I, I'm always reluctant to just blame Steve because I was I was a big part of him as well. Um, but I think as that that should have been handled better by us and also by the club, and it and it wouldn't have been an issue. Now I'm not saying they wouldn't be in the position that they are now if that hadn't have been done. But that was 
I think that was the start of a decision that was made that, that has then had a bit of a domino effect over time. I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, I've got to ask you about one thing before I let you go, because both Husey, when he came on, and Bryce have both spoken about the the 4-4 draw against Ipswich. Uh, no, against, yeah, Ipswich, one second. The first game, yeah. Yeah, and um, Husey mentioned that um, Steve came in and was pretty quiet, but uh, Simo came in and uh, he wasn't as quiet. Is that true? Um it's funny this because I, I don't remember. I mean, I remember the game. It was horrendous. We went in on this Monday night. We agreed everything. Tuesday we did the press conference. Tuesday night was the game. And we Steve said, we're just sitting in the stand. Uh, Wass is going to take it. We're going to sit there. So we're sitting in this director's box. And, and there was there's four of us lined up. And, and I just remember there was two people between me and Steve. So there was Steve, two people. I know Sam Rush was one. And I, I'm thinking it might have been John Vickers was the other. And then me, we're getting absolutely battered 20 odd minutes into the game. And I'm thinking, wow, what have we done here? So I just said to Sam, and I think it was John, do you mind if I just sit next to Steve? And they went, no, no, no. So I go up sit and I said, uh, what are you thinking? And he went, can't carry on. It's, it's horrendous. I said, I know. I said, I know you don't want to be involved, but I think you have to be. And he went, I can't be. I went, no, you have to be. I said, because... I'm not sitting through the second 45 watching this. I said, you're going to have to do something. And he was like, well, what would you do? I said, you're going to have to change it. I said, what, what shape do you want to play? So he said, well, this is what we're going to play. I went, right, well, we need to go in and do it. And he said, well, I don't know who to do. So I was like, well, what about doing it this way? So we talked about what to do. And he said, right, I'm, I need you to go and tell Was though, because I don't want him to feel as though I'm treading all over his toes. So I'll go down to the dugout and I said to Was." Um, Listen, Steve's going to come in at half time. Um, and Wass was white. He's, he'd just gone. He was stood white as a ghost. And I said, So he's going to come in, but he doesn't want you to feel as though he's treading on your toes. And he went, No, 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 I get it. He's the manager. And I went to walk away and I went back and I said, And I went back and said, Wass, just to let you know, this doesn't affect your role, by the way. I said, You are staying in the academy. So don't be panicking about anything. He went, Oh, oh thanks. Thanks for that. So anyway, Steve goes in at half time. <clears throat> And he, he, he was really calm about it. And, and the reason I got annoyed is because um, I don't know if somebody told me or I went round to the players and was just saying a few little bits and I went round and, and I don't know if somebody told me or Bucko said it to me, but Jake Buxton basically said, I'm not going out for the second half. I went, what do you mean you're not going out for the second half? I said, you are. And he went, no, I'm not in the right frame of mind. And I just... Uh, that's when I sort of lost my head and I just said well I'm not being funny bucko and, and I probably swore a few times as well I said like I've heard a lot of good things about you as a person if you come off this pitch and I think it might have been a young player it might have been somebody like Jamie Hansen was on the bench I said you're a shit house. if you walk off this pitch and you make a young player go into this position you're a shit house, and you're not the bloke who I thought you were and that was it, really. And I, I might have had a go at other people. I can't really remember, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, but Bucko mentioned this in, um, I think it was a book I read recently. He mentioned it. And I don't remember, he he sort of portrayed it that I was a bit more aggressive. I don't remember being as aggressive as I was. But that, we had that thing where Steve was all about positive messages and he was wanting to be nice and calm. And if anybody needed to give them a bollocking, it was 
probably had to be me, really. Um, so that that was all it was. Well, we had Bucko on, and it, 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 it's just jogged my memory because I completely forgot, but he told the story, very similar to how you, and he, he kind of, he told it that he was in the wrong, and because he was so close to Nigel Clough. Yeah, and, and I get that. Yeah. And he said, uh, but he did say, I think he, he brought, come over with a coffee the next day at training or something and basically apologised. I think he think he knew driving home. He said it's the only time he'd ever been on a football pitch and he's, he'd had got, his head had just gone. Yeah. No, well, this is, and we got that. We knew that they were all really close to Nigel. We, we totally understood that because that's how, that's how it works. But, you know, I, I know for a fact that we, we had no part to play in Nigel losing his job. Unfortunately, results weren't right. And, and that's why the club decided to change it. But uh, I was absolutely delighted to be back at Derby County. Going into that training ground every day was just an absolute pleasure. And, you know, I, I've enjoyed living here. I still live in the area. Um, still got a real affinity to the football club. Um Whenever I'm working somewhere else, I desperately want to beat them, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> I still have a real affinity with Derby County because of my playing career, because of the way that the supporters have taken to me and, and, and I love living in this area. So hopefully one day um, I may get another opportunity and, and get back there, but we'll just have to wait and see. Well, you've just answered my final question before I asked it, like a true pro. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Simo. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Ta-ra.